It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Thank you for joining me. It's Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio on the Great Outdoors Show, which I believe is the longest continuous running radio show in America. We're now in our 54th year. Pretty hard to believe that's the case. Or actually, fifty. excuse me, 53rd year. Pretty hard to believe that's the case. But thank you for all your years of support. Obviously, I haven't been here for 53 years, but I have been here for 23 years. Thank you so much. And Thank you to Chevy for making this possible all these years as well. I want to start off with a story that I talked about last week, which got an incredible amount of uh, response. And I talked about the ethanol industry and how the demand for ethanol might have peaked. And if the demand for ethanol peaked, what does this mean for the future of corn acres in America? And what does this mean for the future of conservation? Depending on how you view things, ethanol has been very, very damaging to the overall landscape of America because the amount of corn that's being grown for ethanol, which is somewhere between 30 and 40 percent of all corn grown now is used in the biofuel world. And to give you a perspective, a lot of that land that's now in corn ground or soybeans was in grasslands, and grasslands are far better for wildlife. Plows don't go through them, and birds, particularly ground-nesting birds, do a whole lot better. So to give you an example of what has happened in the corn world over since 1980 to today, in 1980, there were 80 million acres of corn planted in America. In 2022, there were 94 million acres Planted. So you've had a nearly 20% increase in the amount of land planted to corn, much of which was in grasslands, pastures for cattle. To put it another way, that 15 million acres is equal to about 23,000 square miles. That's a lot of land. So what does 23,000 square miles look like? Lake Michigan in its entirety is 22,000 square miles. We talk about the Great Salt Lake and its potential, what happens if it gets lower and and more land is exposed. The Great Salt Lake, the biggest inland sea uh, in America, it's it's 1,800 square miles. So Lake Michigan, 22,000 square miles. 20, over 23,000 square miles of land has gone into corn production over the last 43 years since ethanol was born. There's a reason that conservation groups cannot stand ethanol. There's also a reason that the climate lobby, if you will, and I don't, I don't have a different name, but climate interests like ethanol because ethanol reduces the amount of petrochemicals that are needed, oil particularly to be brought out of the ground. So ethanol is viewed as a renewable biofuel. Now, certainly it takes a lot of energy to make ethanol. You've got to plant the ground, plow the ground, plant the seeds, 
You've got to then put on chemicals and fertilizers. Then you've got to harvest the ethanol. All of that uses energy. But, and I'm not an energy expert. I'm not going to try to be one this morning. I'm simply going to report what people who know a lot more about this are writing. The belief is that that is positive, that ethanol, as, as a result of the amount of ethanol being used today, which is hundreds of millions of gallons, if not more, 30 to 40 percent of all corn going to ethanol, that we have reduced the need for carbon fuels. That's terrific. But when you take a landscape that is over 23,000 square miles and change it as we have over the last 40-odd years and make it corn production instead of grass, largely grasslands, that's not terrific, which is why we are on a collision course over ethanol and have been for a while. Senator Grassley of Iowa, the largest advocate without a doubt of ethanol, Iowa is the number one corn-producing state in the country. It makes sense. He's been quoted many times as saying, ethanol, what's wrong with ethanol? It's the greatest thing we've ever had. Look at what it does. And when he says that, conservation groups, and I don't mean environmental groups who are way out there. I mean mainstream conservation groups say, well, that's really not true. And if you're in agriculture, and for those of you who've listened to the show for a long time know I spend a lot of time in agriculture, and WGN Radio is the most listened to radio station in the farm world in America and always has been, thanks to Orion Samuelson, Max Armstrong, and all the years of work they did. This is neither a pro nor anti-agricultural comment. It's simply recognizing that ethanol has fundamentally changed how our land is being used. That is irrefutable. We have got nearly 14 million more acres in corn today than we had in 1980, which equates to about 23,000 square miles, which is about actually a little bit larger than the size of Lake Michigan. And most of that land would have been in what we would consider to be more friendly conservation practices, which is one of the reasons in the last 40 plus years we are seeing ever increasing nitrogen loads in our rivers because Corn farming, the amount of acres that have gone to corn, uh, some of that came out of wheat, but most of, it's, most of it did not. There's a great deal of nitrogen needed to grow corn and hydrous being put on, etc. So nitrogen loads in our rivers, rivers are exploding. Phosphorus are, are exploding. Plus, we have a lot more flooding because grasslands have a way of absorbing runoff much better than croplands do. And we've seen a continuing amount of drainage going on, both of, of smaller wetlands, but also drainage for the expansion of urban areas. Every time we put pavement down, that non-porous pavement sends water into our streams faster because they're coming via drainage pipes, things like that, into our, into our rivers and streams. So the reason we have so much more flooding today is because we have so much land that is not porous anymore. It's under concrete than we did 50 years ago. And we have more land actually under tillage than we did. This doesn't mean that ethanol is good or bad. Economically, from an agricultural perspective, it has been enormously important. Land prices have gone up exponentially since the 1980s, many times over. Yields have gone up, interestingly, I did a little research, and in 1900, the average number of bushels per acres of corn grown was 26 bushels. Think about that, all of us in agriculture listening today. In 1900, the average farm 
produced about 26 bushels of corn per acre. Today, it's about 175 bushels per acre. So we have had this eight-fold increase in yields from 1900 to today on the same land. So one acre in 1900 produced 25 bushels in the best corn-growing area in America. Today it's producing the average, well, this is average, it's 174. We know there are areas in Illinois and Iowa that are pushing now 250 regularly, some of them 300. So we've had this huge increase. So we can grow a lot more grain. We've also greatly expanded it. But the what is coming is what is going to happen when ethanol demand peaks. And it appears that ethanol demand is indeed peaking. So as I mentioned last week, a couple of things can happen. If there's going to be no more demand for ethanol, and in fact, the demand for ethanol because of now electric vehicles and other and solar and wind, if the demand for ethanol goes down, that is not going to be new, good news for, the, for agricultural interests across America. So the ethanol industry is trying to expand its interest of areas of interest. It's now trying to get into the jet aviation fuel business. The jet aviation fuel business is an enormous billion, enormous business. There are almost 25 billion gallons of jet fuel used every year. 25 billion gallons. So if if ethanol becomes a staple of the aviation industry, it might pick up a good portion of what's being lost to the electric vehicle, electric vehicle and renewable energy business. But the bottom line, which is why I circle back to this again this week, is this is going to change quickly. And it's quite possible that the demand for ethanol has peaked and that it will start to go down. And as we continue to have ever-increasing yields, if the demand goes down, that means there are going to be fewer acres of corn planted. I don't, I'm not saying that land is going to go back to grasslands, which the conservation and environmental industry would love to see happen. But it's going to change in use, and that change is going to impact agriculture across the heartland of America, where we're sitting here in Illinois in the absolute epicenter. But it's also going to have big impacts for wildlife. And this is something that three years ago we wouldn't really have been talking about. But it does appear with all of the, the movement being made away from fossil fuels and the use of, of, of biofuels and moving to renewable energy, that there will be consequences, both pro and con. So that's kind of closing the loop on what I started last week. It's, it's a phenomenally interesting subject. Less corn land, if agricultural interests can make as much money off of other uses of that land, could be very, very good for wildlife and good for soil erosion, water quality, flood control. I'll be back with much more in just a moment. Thank you so much for listening. And when I do come back, I'm going to have to read a headline from the Washington Post and a headline from the Wall Street Journal. And again, I don't take sides on this show. I just give you information and you can make up your minds. You would think we lived in two different worlds. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. Hiking, camping, and hunting, it's all an adventure in the great outdoors. But nature can be tough. You need to be ready for anything and everything. Chevy Silverado is built to handle the toughest conditions and get you everywhere you want to go worry-free. Silverado's designed to handle the big jobs. It's built for the great outdoors. With over 13,000 pounds of towing capacity and trailering sway control, Silverado can haul the biggest loads on the roughest roads and keep you cool as a Sunday drive. With eight available cameras and up to 14 different views, it can spot trouble before it gets to you. That's peace of mind. 
And when you're ready for the backcountry, Chevy Silverado 1500 ZR2 owns the off-road. You name it, we run over it. No wonder it's Motor Trend's 2023 four-wheeler pickup truck of the year. So see your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and check out a Chevy Silverado. It's freedom to explore the great outdoors. It's Charlie Potter and the great outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the great outdoors show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN radio. And as I went to that break, I said I would come back with, with two headlines that show that we, we live in the same world, but the way it's reported can be very different. And I don't read these headlines taking one side or the other. As I mentioned before the break, I, as I try to do on the Great Outdoor Shows, I just try to provide information in the best way I can. You're all smart. You can figure out what you want to do with it. But the headline in the Washington Post this week, floods, fires, and deadly heat are the alarm bells of a planet on the brink. Massive floods, record heat, extreme ocean temperatures, forest fires, burning out of control. Climate alarm bells are ringing all over the planet. That's the headline of the Washington Post. Kind of an interesting headline. Headline in the Wall Street Journal. Hottest days ever, question mark. Don't believe it. Wait, wait a minute. We just read the Washington Post saying we have, it's a crisis. That, that the heat, that the, the temperatures we have are the hottest ever recorded and, and it's a crisis. Within a couple of days, the Wall Street Journal writes, hottest days ever, don't believe it. And they say, and I'm going to read the parts of the journal piece because I think it helps explain where if you dig just below the surface on these headlines, you find out, well, people who are really highly skilled, highly educated can come to completely different conclusions. We've known that about science for a long time. Here we go. July 3rd and 4th were declared the two hottest days on Earth in record. The reported average global temperature of those days was 62 and a half degrees Fahrenheit, the hottest temperatures ever recorded in the past 125,000 years. The Wall Street Journal says those claimed temperatures were derived from the University of Maine's Climate Center, which relies on satellite data and computer modeling guesstimation to estimate temperatures. The journal says one obvious question with the narrative is, there was no satellite data 125 years ago, and the calculated estimates of current temperatures can't be fairly compared with guesses of global temperatures from thousands of years ago. I don't think anyone listening to the show was here a thousand years ago, hundred years, maybe wonderfully a hundred years ago if a few were, but certainly not 125,000 years ago. So the journal says that a deeper dive into this data would indicate that the temperature actually was around 57 and a half degrees, not 62.6 degrees. And that the 57 and a half degrees would be the normal temperature that the earth has been having in July and does not show any spike in temperature. That's a quote, does not show any spike in July temperatures. And they say the reason that the data is, is five degrees higher, which is very alarming, is because the average global temperature is a concept invented for the global warming hypothesis, and it's more of a political, I'm quoting, it's more of a political concept than a scientific concept. I thought all this was science. I guess I'm naive. The Earth's atmosphere, therefore, it's, it's hard to put an average temperature on the Earth's atmosphere. And they say that the reason that the re most recent numbers are so skewed is because that Antarctica 
had an unusually warm period for this time of the year. And so that that caused singularly the difference to occur. The rest of the world did not have that kind of a difference. So the journal says, don't believe what you read. It's not the hottest day ever. And the Washington Post says, deadly heat is an alarm bell of a planet on the brink. I, for years, have said on this show, we need to take the ret- tone down the rhetoric. Let's have a discussion with reason and civility. And let's not have a discussion about who's right, who's wrong, and, and, how, and how much passion we can throw into this. A headline says, saying, deadly heat is an alarm bell on the planet, on the, an alarm bell of the planet on the brink. Well, a very respected newspaper takes a different point of view from the Washington Post. So uh, I'm not sure what to believe at this point, except we obviously are having extremely different opinions as to what is taking place. And as a friend of mine who's been a long time involved in the the climate world said, part of what we're seeing is simply the result of 24-7 news cycles. We wouldn't have known all these things were occurring even as recently as 10 years ago because we didn't have the ability to have information travel so quickly. And now you turn on and you get national weather every 28 minutes on certain stations, not local weather, national weather. And so we are just so much more sensitized to the issue of our climate. It is changing. And I don't know whether we're going off the cliff or on the brink, as the Washington, as the Washington Post says, or it's a, it's it's actually hasn't changed that much in recent years, as the Wall Street Journal says. But either way, they both can't be right. One of them is probably more right than the other. Maybe it's somewhere in the middle. But the headlines certainly are are alarming, in that we do not have a civil and reasonable discourse. And I'm not going to say whether we're having global warming or or not. I, I never do say that. I'm simply saying. We've got to ferret out some of this information so that we can have a reasonable discussion. I'm going to end the show in the last 30 seconds I have left simply saying that there is a big move by the Department of Agriculture under the Inflation Reduction Act, and I've talked a little bit about what that means for conservation. It's basically a big slush fund. But there's going to be about $500 million that's going to go to, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, that is going to go to helping agriculture do conservation-friendly practices on the landscape. That's great news. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed the Great Outdoors show. Have a wonderful week in the Great Outdoors. I'll be back next Sunday morning. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.